Coming up, the new episode of This Week in VO. But first, with the latest news in the world of VO, here's News Desk with Graham Spicer. Welcome to News Desk. I'm Graham Spicer. This year's VO Atlanta conference is less than two months away and hopes to live up to its history of being the largest gathering of voice actors in North America. This year's dates are March 31st through April 3rd, and the event is being held at the now-familiar venue of the Hilton Atlanta Airport. COVID has been hard on the conference over the past two years, with the 2020 version cancelled at the last minute at the very beginning of the outbreak, and last year's conference being held 100% virtually. For this year's return to a live, in-person event, Conference executive producer Gerald Griffith has gathered over 60 of the industry's most accomplished voice actors, coaches, producers, and talent agents, and is presenting them in a packed schedule under the theme Resolve. I kind of try to come up with a a term that I think encapsulates some message that we try to weave throughout the narrative of the conference, and Resolve is all about the idea that you, you set some new goals for yourself and then you commit yourself to that process of improving. And, and the, the definition of resolve is that you make a, a decision, you make a decision and you move forward, you come to a conclusion about something. And that's what I want people to do. I want people to think about, I'm not just going to talk about what I'm doing. I'm not going to just talk about where I want to go. I'm not going to just talk about what I want to improve on. I'm actually going to take some concrete steps to move in that direction. This year's lineup of speakers has many familiar faces, and some new presenters are also being featured. One of the things we've always strived to do with the conference is to create a mix where you have a, uh, a set of known commodities in terms of the quality and where they are in the industry, like Mary Lynn or, or uh, J. Michael, even Cliff Zellman, who've been there a number of years. Uh, people come back, they, they offer a certain quality to them that people come to expect when they come to the conference. But at the same time, you don't want the conference to be a cookie cutout every year in terms of your presenter lineup. We try to mix it up and give people a chance to discover some new names and up and coming resources in the industry, as well as learn from those veterans who've already gone through the School of Heart Knocks and, and can share those lessons with the people who are just getting going. Previous VO Atlanta attendees have spoken highly of the Hilton Atlanta Airport venue, especially due to its proximity to Hartsfield-Jackson International. We actually started the first year back in 2013 at the same venue. Our footprint there was... <laughs> A lot smaller than it is currently, where we have all of the meeting space. Uh, we started in a very small amount of the space there, but uh, it's it's a great venue. They've redone the lobby and, and some of the common space, which is great, uh, especially coming out of post-COVID, because there's more room for us to spread out, uh, more room for us to kind of still socialize and network without having to squeeze in as much as we have in the past. The cost of attending this conference is not inconsiderable. But all conference expenses are a legitimate business expense, and the networking and learning opportunities make the investment worthwhile. Griffith explains room costs and registration fees. Uh, We do have a block of rooms. It is um, shrinking up pretty quickly, though, because unfortunately there are a couple of other large events in the area around the same time as the conference. And so we couldn't take up the entire block of rooms that they have available this time around like we normally do. Hotel rates at the at the conference hotel run about one thirty five. Uh, at the uh, property across the street, they're about one twenty nine. 
but the conference itself ranges. People can attend virtually for as little as like three ninety five for all the sessions that are presented virtually, and then if they're in person, that runs about five ninety five. Obviously, with six hundred people gathered in one venue, COVID safety is paramount. The the big answer to that is that it's still evolving as to what it will exactly look like at the time of the conference. At a minimum, everyone attending does have to be vaccinated. They do have to be fully vaccinated. And uh, we ask for that confirmation when they register. We'll reiterate that and ask for it again. In fact, when they come to pick up their badges, uh, we'll ask them to kind of sign off again, indicating that they are fully vaccinated. We'll most likely at a minimum have a, a team that floats around throughout the venue where someone goes to enter a room. They may be standing there at the door doing temperature checks or something like that. So we'll be spot checking some things. But as far as the exact protocol and policies, um, I'm going to evaluate that about 30 days out. So pretty much at the end of February, beginning of March, and see what the recommendations are from our CDC and things like that. And then come up with what the official policy policy will be um, concerning masks, concerning anything else, what the protocol is. Uh, So rather than put something out now and then have to revise it in two weeks and then again in two more weeks, um, I feel like giving ourselves 30 days is pretty much as safe as we can be as, and give people time to know what that policy is before they land here in Atlanta. With the announcement of this year's conference, Griffith stated that this would be the last VO Atlanta. I asked Griffith why he was walking away from the franchise he has spent the past eight years building. I guess I'll, I'll borrow a line from today's headline that much like Tom Brady, you know, you, you get to a place where it, it's time to move on. I just think it's one of those things where life changes. Um, I turned 50 years old, maybe a a year or so ago, just, you know, COVID and and everything else just gives you time to think about, you know, where you are, where you want to go, maybe some things you want to venture into at this point in your life. And the conference does take a lot of time to plan and coordinate. Rather than try to juggle everything, I just think it's time to maybe, you know, wrap it up for me on a high note, um, as, as high of a note as I can have at this point, and uh, transition into a space where I'm open up for some other opportunities in my life. For more information on the conference schedule, speakers, and venue, head to voatlanta.me. While COVID has hit many industries hard, the pandemic has been a boon to others. One example of a beneficiary of the pandemic is the home studio business. For example, During the past two years, SourceConnect, the remote recording technology offered by Source Elements, has emerged as the clear leader in the search for a replacement for ISDN. Co-founder of Source Elements, Robert Marshall, confirmed in a recent interview that the paid version of SourceConnect has doubled its user base since March of 2020. Sennheiser, also the parent company of Neumann Microphones, has also seen an increase in sales to voice actors, said Daniela Cohen communications manager for Sennheiser USA. There's been a marked increase in demand across Neumann and Sennheiser customers for microphones that are specific to home studio and voiceover applications. From the Sennheiser MKE 600 to the MKH 416 and everything in between, as well as for the Neumann TLM family of microphones. It appears the trend towards home studios, even for higher-end directed sessions, is exhilarating, says Robert Marshall. 
COVID has subtracted five years from the journey towards home studios for talent. From now on, high-end recording studios will definitely be consuming fewer bottles of water and less sushi. You've been listening to News Desk with Graham Spicer. Have a story or upcoming event? Email us at thisweekinvo at gmail.com. Get ready because This Week in VO is up next. Welcome to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Each week, JMC will host one of the voiceover industry's most interesting personalities for a casual freestyle chat that encompasses more than just business, digging deep into the guest's backstory and pulling back the curtain on how they became the person they are today. And now for this week's guest, AJ McKay with host Graham Spicer. This Week in VO, hello, my name's Graham Spicer and sitting in for J. Michael Collins, uh, leaving me absolutely huge shoes to fill. And today we're talking to A.J. McKay. Hello, A.J. Hey, Graham. How are you, buddy? Doing fantastic. Thank you very much. And so glad that you're here with us today. I'm glad you're um, here. I'm glad that uh, usually I always, every time I do these things, it's always with J. Michael. So it's it's nice to uh, to have somebody new and fresh and vibrant. Not that he's not, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. He's pretty He's pretty fresh most of the time. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, AJ, you are known amongst the voiceover community primarily as one of the top two or three demo producers in the land. Oh. But first and foremost, that's not what you're all about in the business. And I want to talk first about your career as a voice actor. Um you you kind of grew up in radio. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I uh, I actually got into radio when I was fifteen. Um, my parents used to have to drive me to work. I I worked for three hours a day at a country station, uh, a little AM station, and um, that's kind of how I got introduced. I've always been an audiophile, and uh, I've always loved manipulating audio and the voice, and and so uh, radio just seemed, uh, un, you know, a fit for me. I didn't know about voiceover and and all. I knew, you know, I obviously, I was aware of commercials, but I didn't know how all that got done at fifteen. I had no clue. So I started working radio when I was fifteen, uh, and I gradually realized that I didn't enjoy playing the same twelve songs every hour, <laughs> and so I grew, kind of migrated into the production department into the creative services area and that's really where I thrived and enjoyed working so I um I just kind of you know dove in and um and and that's kind of you know where things where my career path went so I became a, a production director and a creative services guy and I did that uh, until 2010 when I left radio but I did voiceover you know the the entire time I was constantly doing commercials for TV and radio and voicemails and, you know, you name it. So I couldn't get enough. So how did you make the transition from being a creative services, uh, creative services guy at a radio station? Did you just start voicing some of the, your own commercials as they were coming through? And that's what got you into, into voiceover? Yeah. Well, people, I started getting requested, uh, clients would, uh, would start, they started requesting that I do their commercials. So, um, because I just took a lot of time, I think, you know, working in radio, most people think, Oh, I'll call radio stations. And, you know, they're always looking for voiceover people. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, back then all of the on-air talent did the commercials. So when you did your on-air shift for four hours, five hours, whatever it was, you had an hour or two of production work after you got off the air. So, um, you know, that was just part of the gig to get a full eight-hour day in. 
So I just took a lot of time. I would always put all the bells and whistles in there and, and make sure that it, it sounded really cool. And um, I tried to basically mimic what I heard in national commercials for local clients. And so they, they wound up uh, requesting me. And that's kind of, like I said, it was just really, it was organic how it all happened. And, um, and it just kind of evolved from there. You know, then they said, well, I want to use your commercial on a competing radio station. Uh, can I do that? And of course, absolutely for a nominal fee, <laughs> you know, pay me, pay me for that usage. And absolutely. So I was already on the, the VO hustle before I even knew what the VO hustle was, you know. So in 2010, you left radio and you went into voiceover full time. And how was that transition for you? Because that transition is so difficult for so many people. It really is. I think I waited a little bit longer than I should have or could have um, because it was just the fear of the unknown. I mean, I had worked in radio all my life. I had a steady income. I had, you know, health insurance. Uh, This was before the ACA Act uh, had kicked in here in the U.S. So, uh, you know, it's like it was the fear of the unknown and I didn't want to leave. And it was it was hard. I mean, I, I, I stayed probably an extra three or four years on top of what I what I really should have. I mean, at that point, I had a ton of radio stations that I was the voice of or that I was imaging for, I was producing for, and I could have left very easily. But like I said, it was just um, pulling that trigger and taking the leap. And I really think um, what did it for me, and I, I credit him to this day, is Bob Bergen. Um, I had never heard of Bob, didn't know who he was back in the day. And I went... I was invited to come to a seminar that he was speaking at. He was, it wasn't even a teaching thing. It was just he was coming to talk about his life in VO and being a voice actor. And I sat on the front row, and he picked me out, and he, was, he asked me, you know, I was like, you know, what do you do? And I kind of gave a synopsis, and, and he's like, are you happy? And I, I wasn't. I was overwhelmed. I was working for five radio stations in our cluster, and uh, I, w- I was no longer happy being in radio because I was just burned out, uh, you know, 18 salespeople. Uh, five program directors, everybody running to me, needing everything yesterday. And it was just, it was too much. I couldn't do it anymore. And he's, he said, are you happy? And I said, no. And he said, well, then what the hell are you doing? And that's all that it took. <laughs> I think maybe within three months, I, I left radio. Bob Bergen is absolutely inspiring. I oh. love the guy. Oh. And, he, and I, 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 love the, I love the fact that the higher up you get, when it, when it comes to, and I'm kind of using air quotes here, star status within the voiceover community, mm-hmm. the higher up you go, the nicer the people are. It's true. And Bob Bergen is, is an example of just a guy that is so giving to the community. And uh, your story is a very common one, yeah. I find. He, people um, talking about Bob and how he has inspired them to, to take – bigger and greater steps in their voiceover in their voiceover career. Well, because he's absolutely right. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, what did I have to lose? I mean, I, I was in a place where I could do it. It made sense. I was just scared. Like I said, it was fear of the unknown. And it, what, it was just the words that he said, um, you know, and he said more than that. So I'm obviously, but that was kind of the catalyst. And that was kind of the gist of, he's like, then what the hell are you doing? If you're not happy, why are you, why are you spinning your wheels? And I mean, I'm, I've become friends with Bob over the years. I saw him uh, when he came to Atlanta shortly thereafter. I'm like, you probably don't remember me, but I sat in the front row in Louisville, Kentucky. You came to do us. He said, you were working in radio production, weren't you? He said, are you still doing that? And I'm like, no, no, no. I left shortly thereafter. And he's like, good on you. And then we, you know, had wine and 
and we've become good friends since then. So uh, he's he's amazing. You know, all it takes is a spark or or just one person to really light a fire. I think under people sometimes. So that's the other thing I find about Bob Bergen is he remembers everybody. Yeah, and and, he, and when you're with him, you always feel like you're the most important person in the world to him at that moment. Yeah, which is a rare a rare trait. I wish I had that ability. I can't. I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. And and this guy, you know, he's great with that. He's so and it's genuine. It's not. Uh, it's not. You know. It's it's not put on. It's he legitimately enjoys watching others succeed. He's just, he's awesome. He is. So fast forward to 2022. Tell us about a typical day for AJ McKay. How much of it is actually spent in the booth doing your own voiceover versus um, doing production work for uh, JMC demos or, you know, other production work that you've taken on? I'm, I'm a little bit different. I'm a night owl. So I'll work till two or three in the morning. Uh, usually I'll sleep until nine or 10. I know that's odd for people. Oh my God, how do you do that? But, um, I'm up so late that it, I don't know, it just kind of balances out. I mean, there are times where I wake up at nine and I'm like, oh crap, I need to get these auditions out. So usually I'll audition early in the morning when I first get up and I'll knock all of that stuff out. Um, and then I'll see kind of what the demo Usually I I kind of know uh, with JMC being so far ahead in time, um, you know, I usually have demos waiting on me when I wake up in the morning. So and I usually have a couple of weeks to turn those around, if not more. So it kind of balances itself out. But first and foremost, I always take care of any auditions or any client uh, voiceover client needs uh, when I first get up in the morning. And then I kind of work on on demo stuff. But I also, you know, I do post-production for ad agencies and production houses. I'm a freelancer uh, for various production houses around the country. So um, I'm always working on something different. I've got the worst ADD that I'm not medicated for because I can't do one thing all day. If all I did was sit in the booth and read, I'd be bored. So I re, you know, I get in the booth, I I audition or I'll work on a project Then I get to hop out and I'll spend a few hours working on post-production, which I love, and then I can come back to the booth. So it's really a hodgepodge of, of things, but I never typically leave my house during the week. (laughs) I've always got something going on. (laughs) Thank God for Uber Eats. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And Chef Boyardee, free plug. (laughs) (laughs) So... In your own voiceover career, what are you doing most of? Are you a radio imaging guy? That's where you grew up from. Or are you doing commercial work or or some other genre? Yeah, I primarily work in, in commercial. I do, um, you know, I, I work in promo, commercial, um, radio imaging. I do a little bit of. I don't do as much as I used to. At one point, I had almost 60 stations that I was either voicing or producing for, and it's just, it's very time consuming. It's almost, you know, the golden handcuffs type of thing. You know, I mean, you can book time off to be, go on vacation or be out of the studio, but it's still, um, it's a very time consuming thing. So I don't have quite as many stations anymore, which is a bit of a blessing, but I still love to keep my, myself in radio imaging. Uh, primarily I work in commercial. I do a lot of, um, I work with Broadway across America. So I do a lot of, uh, radio and TV, Um, spots for their touring productions, which they're just now starting to go back uh, into the theater, you know, from COVID. So uh, that keeps me busy. But um, yeah, I mean, the demo stuff obviously takes up probably, I'd say, 40 to 50% of of my time, you know, so it's it's an even balance. Um, I just booked a couple of national commercials. I have, it's weird. Our business is so weird. I haven't booked a national commercial um, 
in probably a year, year and, and some change. And I literally just booked two um, in December that run this year, which obviously I can't talk about right now. But when they come out, I'll, I'll blow that up on social media. But it's crazy because you don't book anything and then all of a sudden, oh, and now I'm going to be on two national commercials. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's feast or famine, Graham. It's feast or famine. I know what you're talking about, buddy. I know what you're talking about. So you are partnered as a co-producer with J. Michael Collins in JMC Demos, um, which is arguably one of the most prolific and and one of the best regarded demo production houses in North America right now. Um, tell us a little bit about the creative process. And then I want to start talking a little bit about demos themselves and what makes a good demo because you're producing them every day. We want to hear your opinions on, you know, what, what constitutes in 2022, a great demo, but first tell us about the creative process. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it kind of happened by accident. Um, I did it as I, as a favor to Jen Henry of all people, um, I did it as a one-off. She wanted me to produce her demo and, you know, J. Michael was like, well, I've got, you know, I've got a team of producers and, you know, we can, we'll take care of it. She's like, no, I want AJ to do it. So I wound up doing it. Um, I turned it around, I think in 24 hours, just because I, I was bored and I love Jen and I wanted to, uh, I, I basically spent all day working on it, uh, on a weekend and he got it back and, um, Months after the fact, you know, he he confessed that he's like, yeah, I thought this was going to be crap because you turned it around so fast. And uh, it was good. There were no revisions to it. She absolutely loved it. He loved it. And that became her her, uh, TV narration demo. So um, our process, the way we work is he pretty much leaves me alone um, and lets me do and paint um, the way that I want to do it. Uh, and then we go back and tweak. So he kind of writes everything. He's a brilliant writer. He um, His scripts are, are so tailored to the individual talent. It's just, it's insane. But um, he writes everything. Then he'll uh, do the, the directed session with them. He sends me the audio cuts. And then I just piece it all together. I can, I have the freedom to play um, and try new things or, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but we really do have a cohesive, uh, working relationship. Um, I think that if he was very hands-on with me, I don't think that our, I don't think we'd still be working together because I don't work well that way. But, um, you know, sometimes it's just an order reshuffle. We'll move some of the cuts around, which is typical. Uh, once in a blue moon, he'll say, I don't really like that bed or that music bed or, or whatever. Uh, and then I'll change something there. But, um, yeah, he gives me the the creative freedom to either excel or shoot myself in the foot. So, <laughs> and then from there, you know, we just tweak it until it's um, until it's the way that it needs to be, and and we wait for that final sign off from the talent, and then out it goes. So, what makes a good commercial demo in a, co- a contemporary context? Because fashions change, and yeah. I think it's important that demos keep up. Well, this is going to be the, the, the simple answer, but I'll, I will dive deeper. Um, what makes a great demo is the talent. You know, if you don't have the talent, it doesn't matter what I do with your voice. It doesn't matter what pr- compression or mastering or EQ. If you don't have t- – if, if the talent isn't connected to the copy or to the script, then it's not going to be a good demo. I don't care what any producer says or does or tries to spew out there. The talent at the end of the day will make or break the demo. Now – to say that, I, 
I've also heard some bad demos where the production value is awful. And uh, that can hinder you, too, if the music's too loud and, and burying the voice. You know, the, the idea, it's a very fine line. I always try to produce demos to make them sound what I call broadcast ready or broadcast quality. Um, it's a demo. But I also like to um, suspend the disbelief in the person listening. Did I... I think I heard that spot on TV, or I think I heard that commercial on the radio. You know, I, I want there to be a credible, oh, that's them. I didn't realize that they did that one for whoever. So um, I think that the production does help in that sense, because obviously, you know, if it's badly produced, I think it st- stands out like a sore thumb, no matter how great the performance is. But at the end of the day, it's up to the actor to, to really deliver the goods, so to speak. Um, but I think what makes a good uh, – well, it depends. Commercial, you know, what makes a good demo is, is diversity, variety. Um, if you're one note, you know, it's – if you sound the same in everything that you do, it just makes it harder to, you know, to, to fall in love with you. You know, I mean, the more range that you can bring to the demo, the more uh, options that someone has to work with. You're like, oh, well, I didn't like cut one or two, but cut three. That's what I'm looking for, you know. So it really is about the talent. It's about being diverse and having a, a broad uh, spectrum of, of range. Now, I know that JMC Demos is big on producing the entire demo from start to finish. Mm-hmm. There are other producers who find room for real jobs, real work to be edited into a demo so that there is a mix of stuff that's been produced specifically for the demo with real work. That's not the JMC way. Why is that? Um, I think that, uh, and I I give her credit every time I say this because it was brilliant, and I'm probably going to screw up her quote, but um, Heather Dame from Atlas said it best. A demo should be representative of the work you want to be doing, not the work that you've already done. It should represent where you want to go as a talent, where you want to go as a voice, not what you've done in the past. It's also it's all about that forward momentum. You should always want to move forward, you know, especially in commercial. You really need to be relevant. You, you need to keep that thing updated, um, even if you record a new piece or two here and there. Uh, the thing I like about JMC demos and what we do is we give them a full demo, then we break each cut apart. Um, you know, we'll even we even package it up. If you have the voice Sam player, we'll cut it up uh, so that you can load it right into voice Sam. So, you know, we try to be really flexible, um, you know, if. Two months down the road, ah, I don't like this this spot being number one, and you want to shuffle stuff. Well, we hit, you have all the parts to be able to shuffle stuff on your own. If you want to come and do a refresh, you know, you want to say, I want to take this piece out and let's add this, this, and this in, or whatever. You know, we we make accommodations for that. We'll work with you to um, to help you achieve what you what your end goal is without having to do a new demo every time. You know, so I mean, that's the thing I like about Jay Michael. He's, he's very flexible. That How way. long are commercial demos? I get asked this question tw- 20 <laughs> times a month and I never know the right answer. <laughs> well, I think you said it best. Uh, one of the forums I, I saw you in, you're like, you, you ask one person, you're going to get uh, 50, uh, one, the same question. And you ask 10 people, you're going to get 10 different a- answers. We try to keep, it depends on the genre. Uh, for commercial, we try to keep it between 115 and 130 at the very max. Um, anything more than that, you, you're, you, you know, you've lost interest. With radio imaging demos um, and TV narration, sometimes we'll go a little bit longer, uh, you know, two minutes, 215. But typically, that 1 to 115 
you know, no longer than 130, but it really has to be a banging demo. I mean, it's got to have diversity. It's got to be unique. It has to have interesting pieces. So if you're kind of one note, um, 60 seconds. If you're one note, if you've got one style of read and that's all you do, 60 seconds. If you have, if you just are all over the, the spectrum and can deliver all these emotions and all these different styles, you can get away with 115 to 130. Uh, for commercial. Uh, promo, about the same, 130. Uh, TV narration, like I said, up to two minutes. Just because TV narration, you know, they want to hear a little bit more emotion of how you connect to the copy and how you, you know, because it's obviously if you're an in-show narrator, they want to hear, you know, you're going to be reading for the bulk of the show. So they want to hear how you sustain that read a little bit longer. So those will run, you know, two minutes typically. Um, corporate narration, e-learning, uh, those type of those non-broadcast medias, uh, typically those are, are 130 to two as well, just depending. Like I said, it, it's got, it's all about the reads. It really has to be compelling. There was talk a few years ago about compiled demos going away and that everything was going to be individual little 20 second snippets. Yeah. Is that still going to be a reality or is the compiled demo here to stay i haven't seen any evidence of compiled demos going away um that's how we still produce uh but like i said we also cut everything up to to use in the voice sand player we will send the individual tracks i haven't heard of that going away i think that some clients because everything's about uh you know especially today everything is now 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 i want it immediately so if they're looking for you know a car spot they can click Oh, there's, they have a car dealer spot or they have a, a, a there's a Ford spot or whatever. Uh, and they can pinpoint exactly, you know, what they're, but for me, because I cast as well through my, through AJ McKay creative, you know, I also do casting and I hire voice actors from time to time. If I'm booking a car spot uh, or looking for a voice for a car spot, well, I may be looking for an emotional read about connecting, you know, with a copy from being a family man or a family woman. Um, and I don't want to hear the Sunday, 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 you know, or typical thing. So uh, for me, I like the compiled demo because if if it's diverse, if it's, you know, like I said, if there's a great cross section and I'll, I'll listen to the, the whole thing typically, um, you know, but maybe maybe that's just me being old school. I don't know. But I, I've seen nothing where the compiled demos are going away. Good demos can be expensive. Mm. What is the difference between a $1,000 demo and a $3,000 demo? Um, experience. Experience in your producer. Um, I think uh, a $3,000 demo is going to get you the full service that you need to make sure that you put yourself forward in the best light. Um, you know, I think if you hire, um, and not to say that there aren't quality producers out there that are charging $1,000, um, you know, I think it's it's a lot. A lot of it has to do with supply and demand. You know, and it's just it's like any other business model. Uh, you only have so many hours in the day, and you really have to time manage. Um, you know, your intake of clients. You know, we I know that J. Michael just doesn't bring uh, bring on anyone that says, "Hey, I want to do a demo." You know, it's a vetted process. Um, you know, he makes sure that you have the chops and that you're ready to to go because ultimately we can produce a great demo for you. But if we know in our heart of hearts, it's not going to work for you and it's not going to book you work. Uh, we're, you know, we're not all about just taking somebody's money. That's not, you know, that's not why we do what we do. But I think, um, the old adage, you, you pay for quality. I think, um, you know, 
or a, a cheaper if somebody's doing a, a demo for you at a price point of um eight hundred dollars you know you have to ask yourself you know are we doing a consultation are they are they doing some coaching sessions with me to make sure that i'm up to par and and up where i need to be to be competitive uh and to actually book work you know are they writing scripts that are custom to my personality or are they just giving me some generic cookie cutter stuff that anybody can find on the internet um, how does the production sound? Gosh, is th- that music sounds really, really loud, like you can barely hear me. Well, you know, things like that are all factors, you know, so you are paying for, um, you know, just like we as voice actors have to justify, you know, why somebody should pay our, our studio fee of $150 or $200 an hour or whatever it is. Well, it's it's the, the training, it's the equipment, it's the learning, it's the 30 plus years that I've spent um, in this industry studying, you know, with various people. So I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's you're paying for quality and professionalism uh, to get those top-notch results. I should mention, by the way, that JMC demos aren't $3,000. No, Um, yeah, I was going to caveat that because I'm like, I don't know who's charging that, but I hope it's not implying that we are. (laughs) No. And and I do want to I do want to make that clear is that JMC demos are not three thousand. Yes, are, we are not there. Are there. Producers out there, <laughs> there are producers out there charging three three thousand dollars for a demo, but JMC is not one of them. That's... And in fact, um, JMC is good about if you are buying, you know, two or three demos as a package, the price becomes increasingly competitive. So. Right, because you can do you know when you're doing multiple demos in that as that aspect, you know, you can. You can you can consolidate your time. You know when you're if you're doing a consultation, well, you don't have to have three different consultations to do three different demos. You can handle that. You know, and maybe an extended hour session or whatever. And I mean, so there are you know he does he's very easy to work with when it comes to to those type of things. It's not like oh well each demo is this price and this is what it's going to cost and this is what you have to go through. Um, you know he's he really is willing to work with people because he's at the end of the day you know he's a voice talent himself. So he 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 understands and that's what um, like I said if if I wasn't if I wasn't on the same page I still wouldn't be uh, working with him. He's just um, I can't praise him enough. I, I don't want to sound like a you know like <laughs> like I have copy points. I don't, but uh, I've just learned um, you know the the man behind the legend, uh, <laughs> if you will. And he's just good people, man. He's just a good egg. Yeah. Well, full disclosure is that uh, J. Michael and A. J. did my dem- my commercial demo, and I've been extremely happy with it in fact i i book from the demo nice on a fairly regular basis so i love to um, hear that that's one of my favorite yeah. things to hear is is when that happens congratulations number one it was an absolute pleasure number two and and that's really like i love you listen the money pays the bills absolutely but i love hearing stuff like that when somebody says i booked a national off my demo or you know i booked a longtime client just off my demo that tells me that I'm doing something right. And a lot of times I don't hear that feedback. Uh, he does because he deals more hands-on um, with our, our end users than I do. I very rarely get to see that unless it's on social media. So that's awesome. I'm, I'm so, I didn't know that. So kudos. Good on you. Yeah, plus, you're, plus you're a talented yeah. <laughs> guy too. So, I mean, you know. Well, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, but thank you for saying so. <laughs> Listen, how many demos does a voice actor need? 
Um, in this, I would say, you know, you ask me 15 years ago, I'd, I'd say not many. Uh, in this day and age, it has become so niche and so specialized. People think that it's a gimmick, you know, that, that demo producers are trying to up, upcharge or upsell people. And it's really not. Um, it's all about, like I said, it's about time management and it's about um, a, a producer or a casting director's time, really. Um, as many demos as you can pull off believably and consistently, uh, I would say go for it. And I say this to say that for commercial, let's, let's talk commercial. For commercial, it needs to be a cross-section of styles and, and reads. Um, for radio imaging, you know, there are different formats out there. Radio imaging just isn't all-compassing. It's, it's top 40. It's uh, rock. It's, well, you got classic rock, active rock. You have hip-hop stations. You have R&B stations. You have news talk stations, sports. So you need to really have demos that are target-marketed, to those specific clients. So, um, you know, if you are going after automotive clients, well, you don't want to send a commercial demo. You don't want to send a, a, just a regular commercial demo. You want to send an automotive demo that specializes in who you're going after. And I think that's just a cultural shift um, in our society. Um, every, everything is target marketed. Facebook ads, you can target market to exactly who you're trying to reach. And you really need to look at it from that perspective as a voice actor. You can't just be blanket, be all, end all anymore. It's, I mean, nowadays we even have promo demos that are targeted to comedy, drama, um, network versus, uh, you know, cable networks versus uh, syndicated. Um, so you really have to figure out, you have to do your research and, and really know where, where you want to go and who you're trying to reach out to. Now, AJ, if someone needs to get a hold of you or wants to get a hold of you to uh, ask about having demos produced or, or just generally wants to, to chat you up, how do they go about getting, uh, getting through to you? Sure. Well, if they want to uh, talk about demo production, uh, I'm happy to do that all day long. As far as booking um, a demo through JMC Demos, they would want to reach out to J. Michael Collins. Uh, But if they want to hit me up with questions, they can email me anytime. It's aj at ajmckaycreative.com. So aj at ajmckaycreative.com. And that's my, uh, my email address. And feel free to hit me up. I mean, I answer questions all the time. Um, it's funny because people always say, oh, well, thank you for your time. How much do I owe you? And I'm like, well, it's just you ask me a question in email. You don't, you don't owe me anything. You know? <laughs> so um, I'm happy to answer email. I'll, I'll answer email questions all day long. I coach radio imaging. Uh, I don't do it a lot just because of, of the time in, in the day, but uh, I do that some as well. So if they want to reach out to me about that or just questions in general, um, you know, I've got 30 plus years of, of broadcast experience in, in the industry and I might have a little nugget here or there to share. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand you're going to VO Atlanta coming up in uh, in seven or eight weeks. I am. The very last one. I'm looking forward to being with everybody. Yeah. So people can uh, find you in the hallways or over lunch or drinks there and also uh, ask you questions. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing um, an X session, a radio imaging X session with uh, Joe Cipriano, and I'll be on a demo panel, and I'll be at the JMC Demos booth uh, quite a bit. So feel free to stop by, and if you see me, say hi. Sometimes I'm walking around in a circle, and I'm like looking like I don't know where I belong, and, you know, please, by all means, grab me, point me in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I hear you're on a first name basis with Big Zoe, Reverend Ronnie, and Freya the Slayer. You have to tell us about 
your connections to professional wrestling. Oh, my God. Well, first and foremost, I don't think maybe many people know who those folks are because they're up-and-coming talents. But um, I work with a WWE legend, a World Wrestling Entertainment legend by the name of Al Snow. And Al is uh, – Al's been around – Forever, he was an old ECW guy, and he worked at WCW back in the day, and as well as well as WWF, WWE. Um, yeah, man. So OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, has been around since the early '90s here in Louisville, Kentucky, where I live, and um, they've tra- they trained some of the biggest um, wrestling superstars in the world: John Cena, Dave Batista, uh, Randy Orton. You know, all of these guys. Brock Lesnar. All of these guys came through OVW. And so I got a call from a buddy of mine out of the blue one day that I used to work with in radio. And he said, hey, man, um, I know you love wrestling and we're looking for a play-by-play announcer. Would you be interested? I didn't even ask how much it paid. I'm like, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I've been doing that the last year and a half and having the time of my life. That's the, that's my get-out-of-the-house time. <laughs> uh, that so, is yeah, too pleasure. funny. Guilty too pleasure. funny. <laughs> AJ, it's been a real pleasure having a chance to speak with you. I wish we had three hours to do this. Oh, man, me uh, too. But you've imparted just some amazing nuggets of information. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Graham. I look forward to seeing you in Atlanta. Absolutely. Uh, Me as well. Take care, buddy. You have been listening to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues on social media. If you do, JMC might just send you a lobster. Now here's nobody trying to sell you anything, because that's just how we roll. Stay tuned for a new podcast most weeks throughout the year, 